Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Jared Dubin of 538 and many other wonderful places, and I needed to record this podcast on Sunday, and you know, that's the last day of the regular season, but we needed to record before because I'm doing an extended dunked on recording afterwards, and that led us to an interesting conversation about what we're going to take away from this 2021-22 regular season. We also talk about the playoffs that are coming forward, but I thought it was a really interesting conversation and one that I wouldn't have had were it not for the specific timing. It does not tie in with the results of Sunday because we recorded before games began. But a lot of a lot of interesting stuff here runs a little bit less than an hour. Hope you enjoy it. Brought to you by betonline.ag and use that CLNS50 promo code to get a welcome bonus and tell me came from us. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I don't usually record the day before, the kind of the morning before the end of the regular season, but I, I appreciate the opportunity. And so I was thinking about, okay, like, well, we don't want to necessarily talk about some of the playoff matchups because things aren't totally set. And what I realized would be a good place to start, and it's not the whole thing we're going to discuss, is just thinking a little bit more about the future. But a few years from now, what do you think you're going to remember? What do you think you're going to take away from this 2021-22 regular season? Uh, COVID? <laughs> that, that's a part of I it for it, sure yeah no i mean mostly i think the first thing that's going to come to mind is the guys that didn't play Kyrie because of the vaccine simmons because of whatever the heck was going on there uh jamal murray michael porter jr Kawhi leonard paul george for a lot of the season dane lillard for a lot of the season i mean i'm definitely forgetting a bunch of guys like kd missed like half the season um james harden was on the court but missed like half the season um <laughs> You know, there were just a ton of guys that were out. Everybody on the Bulls for like half the year. Just so many guys missed so much time. And I feel like that above anything else is going to be, you know, sort of the overriding theme that I remember. That is definitely a valid one. And I think it's a part of the context of this season. But the the one for me, and it's funny that I'm going to lead into this when I don't have a firm opinion yet. But what I'm going to remember is this is my let's call it I think like my 13th year as what I would call an NBA analyst and this is by far the closest MVP race that I've recalled and I think regular season MVP is overwrought in many cases but it is also a worthwhile exercise it is important to you know to to assess these things to have these conversations even if it's not and regular season MVP is not best player in the league or anything like that and you brought up, and it's completely valid, all the players that missed the season. But I also think what makes me so happy about this year is that the seasons that Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis have had have all been fantastic. This isn't a mm. year where, oh, we ha- like I was thinking back to that Malcolm Brogdon, Joel Embiid rookie of the year, where it was like, somebody has to win, so we'll have to choose between these two. These are all phenomenal cases. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I put out, you know, my my picks this morning. I can't see anything that happens today changing that, especially because uh, Giannis isn't playing. I would imagine Embiid's playing the Pistons. Jokic is playing the Lakers. Like nothing that happens on this final day is necessarily going to change all that much. And I said, like, I, I had Jokic first, Giannis second, Embiid third, uh, followed by Tatum and Booker. And like I said a bunch of times. Um, I think any order you have those top three in is legit to me. Like, I'm not going to argue with you if you have Embiid first, Giannis first, Jokic third. Like, it, it doesn't matter. I think they're all so close. And, you know, that's the order I put it in. But if anybody thinks a little bit differently, like, I think they're close enough that you can make 
good arguments in their favor. What's made me really annoyed this season is that most people talking about this throughout the season have not been making arguments in favor of their candidate, but trying to tear down the other candidates, which I find incredibly off-putting. And I also think like, you know, let's let's say you think Giannis was the MVP or Embiid is the MVP and Yo- or Jokic is the MVP. And one of those guys then has to be second and the other one has to be third. And people tend to take having someone second or third on an MVP ballot for some reason as an insult, which is legitimately crazy to me. Like you're calling someone among the 0.5% of best players in the league in that season and people are like going nuts about how they're not first. I mean, do you know the kind of things I would do for the Knicks to have a player who was like deservingly in the top three of MVP ballots and everybody universally thought that? And, and like people are freaking out that somebody's second place on the ballot or third place on the ballot. Like it's it's really wild to me the way people react to this it, or, you know, to having someone's second team all NBA as like you're saying they're one of the four best players at their position in the entire league. Like that is not an insult. It's a compliment. And not only that, it's also a reflection of how this season has gone, not necessarily how good they are as a player or how good they are as a person or how good their fans are as fans. It's just a statement of what has happened so far this year. Yeah. And it also lends itself to a lot of either bad faith, if you want to be more malicious about it, or just flawed arguments, especially arguments against. And like one of the ones that has been very frustrating to me is this argument against Jokic that the Nuggets are the five or six seed in the Western Conference, whereas the Sixers and the Bucks are better than that in the East. And first of all, we're one day before the end of the season. The difference in terms of records between those teams is like three games. So this is not a circumstance where one is the best player on a 58-win team and one is on a 42-win team, Where if that sort of thing matters to you. So saying arguing position relative in the standings, like because of the conferences, not that big a deal. And also like the the other part of this that I think is extremely telling on that in terms of arguing team record or seating. So I brought up this record versus seating part of this. The other element of it is part of the argument for Jokic is the surrounding talent. And surrounding talent is both the guys that you are playing with and the players who are playing when you are not on the floor. And that's why something I like to look at for this. And again, net rating, just like defensive rating, net rating is not an individual stat either. And make sure that I'm not arguing that. But I like you cleaning the glasses version because it filters out garbage time. I think that makes it a better, it's a better filter than just straight up. When Jokic has been on the floor, the Nuggets are outscoring opponents by nine points per possessions. When Embiid is on the floor, it's about plus eight. And when Giannis is on the floor, it's plus 8.1. So the argument when you're getting into team record there to an extent is... Jokic's case is worse because his teammates are worse when he's not on the floor. And that is an that is an objectively terrible argument. Yeah, I don't like to punish players for the quality of their teammates in either direction. Right. I, I don't think, you know, Giannis should be punished for having played with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday or Jokic should be punished for, you know, Facundo Campazzo playing a thousand minutes and the Nuggets being, you know, minus six thousand in those a thousand minutes. <laughs> and, and I don't think Embiid should be punished for not having Ben Simmons or praised for not having Ben Simmons. Like to me, it's about the value that the player himself provided, not anything that their teammates did. Like I, I tend to use like a very sort of vague criteria. Basically it's just, you know, which player provided, you know, the greatest positive impact on his team's ability to win regular season games during that season. Sure. Like that's, sort of the criteria that I use and that's you know it's teammate agnostic to me um, other people can feel differently other people can obviously use team wins or narrative or you know the, if your your team was facing some sort of challenge during the season that you led them through or or anything else you clutch numbers record against the other MVP candidates like there's a, a zillion different things that people can consider and and I consider a lot of different things too obviously I watch these guys as as often as I can throughout the regular season, I look at, you know, the numbers from every stat site that, that I can imagine. I, uh, you know, 
read and listen to other people throughout the season. So if they saw something that I didn't, then I could keep an eye out for that throughout the rest of the year. And, you know, I try to consume as much as I can basketball wise. And, you know, I just I just come to an opinion. And a lot of these things, they're they're so close and people and there's so much that gets taken to account and people try to boil it down to just one thing because they want to make the one thing the thing that makes their favorite player win where it reminds me of you know like the Harden Westbrook or Harden Steph arguments from a few years ago where Rockets fans would be like oh well Steph won because of his team record but now Harden's team record is better but he's not winning it's everybody hates Harden and it's like no every season is different it's not like if you just hit one benchmark that you win MVP it's everybody you got to be better than every other player in the league in a lot of different ways and there's not always a clear winner and there's it's like if there was one metric or one determinant of MVP we wouldn't need people to vote like we could just right. create and, a stat called MVP and it's also part of why as somebody who grew up obsessed with baseball statistics part of why I ended up gravitating towards basketball is that it can't be reduced in some of the ways because baseball the consistency between pitcher and batter and everything else where it became like there's still a lot of fun within that but it's it was less interesting for me from an analysis perspective whereas basketball I mean these three players that are at the top of the MVP case are such a great example of how and why great players affect their teams. And so for Jokic, a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of his case has been despite incredibly flawed surrounding talent on both ends of the floor, but especially offensively, his le- his dominance and his specific brilliance has allowed them even being shorthanded and not shorthanded in terms of they like I don't think about it in terms of like you did you brought this up too in terms of the guys who weren't there for me it's more about the guys who were and so like the only way for the Nuggets to be great offensively in my eyes was for Jokic to be at the center of it and for him to be great and that is exactly what happened. And so that is, you know, that that matters. And 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 he did great. And then defensively, Jokic has taken major strides forward. That does not mean... And, and whereas Embiid, it's kind of a hybrid case. And Giannis, I think the defensive argument for him is a little bit underappreciated. I'd be very interested mm-hmm. to peer into some of these metrics to see why I think he's getting too little credit, personally, for what's going well for the Bucks, especially with Brooke Lopez being out so much of this year. And and so again, like, like you, you take all of these different inputs... And then you produce something else. And and the other part of it is we're going to remember all of these seasons and these players are all barring some sort of catastrophe. Like, I mean, Giannis is already in the Hall of Fame. Like, he could retire tomorrow and he'd be in. Jokic is getting pretty dang close there. And then Bede is in the conversation. He just missed so much time at the early card of his career. It doesn't, like, it matters in a very specific sense, but then it also doesn't in others. And, like, the other part of that for me is, like, yes, I am frustrated as you are that the All-NBA voting is still has these positional things which lead to it not being the five best players on the first team and everything else. But as long as they make a team, I don't think it's going to be lost to the sands of history how great these three players were. Uh, yeah, a few things there. So first, I think Embiid might have like a Tracy McGrady-style case already where his peak, uh, even if it's sure. not quite as long, um, is so good that I think he would probably deserve to get in especially anyway. because the reason if he like retired tomorrow the reason would be something that would presumably be understandable you know it's not just it's not like he would all of a sudden be bad for five years like that might actually make his case harder right yeah and even then it would be like a then a dwight howard style case except like he was probably even better relative to the rest of the league than Dwight was, or maybe it's just that the league is better right now. But I mean, I think he had a pretty, he would have a pretty good case anyway. Um, one thing about Giannis not getting necessarily the defensive credit is, I mean, I, I think it's probably in large part because their defense hasn't been as good this year. Sure. And that's both because Brooke hasn't played and also because they've had to change Giannis's defensive role for a lot of the year because Brooke hasn't played and they've had to play different kinds of coverages because Bobby Portis has been the center for a lot of the year. So Giannis hasn't been the same type of defender for a lot of this season than what we've gotten used to. So I think people see the impact a little bit less because his job has been a little bit different. Um, And then one of the things that I really love about all three of these guys is that they're all pretty damn close to being the same size, but they're so good in such different ways. Like you could find obviously similarities between all of them, but I mean, I think if you watch them, it's like, you're not going to be like, those guys are alike. You know, they play the same way, 
or anything like that, you know? And that's just, that's just really fun, especially in a league where a few years ago, big men were like you were Tyson Chandler or you were non-existent, you know? And now we've got these three enormous dudes that are all so skilled and so impactful in such different ways. And and now that Jokic has improved on defense on both sides of the floor, they're, they're all in, impacted, impactful in, in different ways and to varying degrees. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's, and, that's really and you me. can also, if you want to expand that to, you know, like Bam out of bio, not that he's in the MVP conversation and Towns is similar but different to some of these other guys too. Like, I think the league is in the healthiest place in my basketball watching time, which is shorter than most people's, for being able to make the most of players with unusual skill sets. And that's so exciting about where the game is going because. There, I mean, Jokic is so special, and in other eras, maybe he would have just been like a back-to-the-basket center, maybe he would have been role offensively similar to what Bill Walton did on the Blazers, but Mike Malone, the coaching staff, and Jokic himself deserve an immense amount of credit um, for... I, I think that Michael Malone would be very mad at you right now, because you just called him Mike. Oh, I did, didn't I? I apologize. I apologize, uh, Michael. He gets... He gets so angry. He does. <laughs> um, but let, let's it's jump into though. let's jump into one of the other. Uh, so for me, one of the other big storylines of this regular season, I like to call it not a fluke. And so what we had la- last year was anomalous for a variety of reasons. One of them being that the first half of the season there were no fans, and the second half there were, and so it wasn't as extreme as the bubble. And we've seen some of the like shooting numbers and everything else like that. Progress, regress, regress to the mean is probably the most accurate description of that since then. But you wondered, you know, with how the season started, it was a super short off season. Some of the stories from last year, whether those were going to continue. And so for me, that was one of those was the Phoenix Suns. They were a really, really good team last year, but it was the first year they had been in that format. And while I fully expected them to be very good, you know, pick their over, all that type of stuff, they've been phenomenal. And so the the idea that them and you could make an argument for this to some degree with Jokic. I mean, Jokic has been a very good player for a few years, but being an MVP caliber guy again—that is a real statement of how great of a player he is. And and we we have that with a couple other kind of like teams and situations where I didn't expect them to go down, but now it's like okay, we know Jokic is in this conversation as long as he can stay healthy. The Suns, as long as they can stay in this iteration, they're there. Like there isn't any shift back that needs to happen this is just what they are and then there's also the teams that that did shift back you know the warriors for a lot of the season getting back to what they had been in the previous few years the raptors now that they're actually able to play in you know their hometown and haven't been ravaged by covid all season sort of shifted back to what they had been uh before um i'm trying to think anybody the heat obviously were much better this year than they were last season, um, which is sort of getting back to the version of them that they were in the bubble. Um, so, you know, from some other team levels, like sort of the opposite of what you were saying, where they didn't necessarily confirm last year, but confirming previous years compared with last year, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense, and it's it's a really good point that, you know, kind of, kind of figuring out where the equilibrium is, and that had been such a challenge over the last, the prior two regular seasons and playoffs of, well, what are we actually seeing? And then we saw how injuries affected the 21 playoffs, and so what are we there? And I, I think we've got some clarification. We will get more over the next two months, for sure, but that is that is important. And then, for me, the other kind of tie-in with that is the rising young players in certain teams that were were kind of seeing the new paradigm and so that is you know like John Morant this year took it to another level he's been absolutely phenomenal and the Grizzlies have been great with him and they've been great without him which is a part of why they have the second best record in the league the number three cleaning the glass net rating as we're recording this and so for him individually for the team that full strength iteration of the Celtics was really encouraging the full strength Cavs. I thought they were going to suck this year. I thought they were going to be bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't believe in the theory of the team that Kobe Altman had, and I didn't think that JB Bickerstaff was the right coach to manage it. And things have gone squirrely when they've been short staffed, as you would for a lot of teams, especially top heavy teams. But they're in a fundamentally better place than I than I had previously anticipated. And that is one of my single favorite things about watching the NBA is it's these players and teams rising and then you try to figure out, well, where is it going from here? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you could say something similar about the Timberwolves. Sure. And they've been full strength throughout this year, and especially, like, defensively. Early in the season, they were doing some, you know, crazy stuff, and it was working for a while, and then it didn't work as well, and they changed things a little bit, and they've been, you know, mostly fine on defense, which has basically never happened in the history of the team, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. Um, you know, I, I was pretty skeptical of the Cavs as well. Um, I wonder how much is... I, I wonder what would have happened if Colin Sexton was still there and their roles weren't as clearly delineated. That's not to say like Sexton would have thrown them off, but I do think his injury clarified a lot of things for them in terms of how they were going to have to play on offense. Um, and I think that that ended up probably helping to some degree. And then just, I mean, I don't know if anybody could have seen Evan Mobley being as completely transformative of a defensive player as he was and the three bigs thing working to a certain extent and, and marketing didn't even shoot well for most of this year. And then just Kevin Love being willing yes. to both come off the bench and, you know, get back to not, obviously not the level of play that he was at, you know, when he was making all-star teams, but I mean, he was really good this year. Like he's going to come in first or second and, in six man of the year voting and deservingly so I would imagine he'll come in second. Um, but I mean, that, that's very well deserved for him and he hadn't been effective or even on the court all that often for the last few years. Plenty more to come with Jared Dubin, but first a message from betonline.ag. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs, sports info, and odds. You can find all the latest sports development, including the NBA play-in and the start to the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It is super easy to get started, so join today. Learn why everyone is saying BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games bet online where the game starts to me the last of the like really big storylines is the lakers because lebron james <laughs> is the definitive player of this generation at least for now and yes he hasn't been you know firmly in the mvp candidate race regularly over the last couple of years some of that's because he missed a bunch of time with injury but he is still that level you know I, we, we, we'll, he was the best player on a championship team two years ago we can say that. We can't say what he would be now or anything like that, and it's now going to be at least another year until we see it, and that will be LeBron's age 38 campaign. And so you can tie this to a bunch of different things, whether it's how poorly run they've been and the personnel decisions with Russell Westbrook and managing the bench and Taylor Horton Tucker over some of these other guys, like all those different things. Or if you want to say the injuries that they've had or the play of Anthony Davis for for the most part even when he was healthy AD wasn't up to his usual standard but we this is now the another year where the best player of his generation aging out of it but the, like that that guy is not in the postseason and not really in the mix yeah and, and I think that to a certain degree that is a little bit misleading sure. just because of like LeBron is 37 and 37 year olds generally are out of the league. If they're not generally, they're terrible. They're, they're, or, or they're, they're on a team, not necessarily because of their, their value to winning basketball. It's something else like Udonis Haslam, like right. those, those and sorts it's just of like his entire career has thrown off the expectation of what we can reasonably expect from a player of whatever age he is at that particular time and um you know it turns out the 37 year old version of lebron is probably going to miss some games and is probably going to be one of the best players in the world instead of the best player in the world and when that's the case you can't have a team that is as bad around him as that team was this year like nobody on that team was good it was like lebron davis sometimes and malik monk and that was basically it it was wild, and there was chaos pretty much the whole time. If you want to discuss, you know, the whole element of this with Frank Vogel, who it seems like is going to be summarily replaced, whether this season was his fault or not, I clearly have a stance on that. And it is a something to reconcile. And I mean, Nate and I went through this when we were doing top ten players, and we're like, how do we incorporate? 
this season for LeBron where he, you know, this year LeBron, 26 PER, if you care about PER, but 62% true shooting on 32 usage. 62% true shooting on 32 usage is roughly what LeBron did in 2016-17 on the Cavs. It's roughly what he did in 17-18 on the Cavs back when he was just in his early 30s. And yes, those sorts of things, just like the counting stats, can be inflated by the role where basically partially because the this team had so little spacing if they played their bigs that they had to kind of play small guys. And if they played small guys, then they couldn't play defense and everything else. So like those numbers are inflated relative to what LeBron would do on an actually successful basketball team, which the Lakers were not. But that even if you shift those to what you consider like the non-funhouse mirror iteration, it's still completely expectation-shattering, mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, he was outrageously good on offense this year. He just did not play, like, basically, and I have a story going up on the Lakers, so I don't want to spoil too much of it, but basically LeBron and AD were the only two good players on the team for the most part, but... They were not on the floor as often as the Lakers would have wanted them to be, and they were not quite as good as they were in the previous two years when they were on the floor. LeBron, mostly because he could not reasonably care on defense as much as he would have needed to to make them remotely competent on that end because he had to do absolutely everything on offense. And at 37, he just can't do the I'm going to be the best player on the floor on both ends of the floor every night because he I mean he could barely keep up doing it on offense without getting injured and then AD was you know a non-entity sometimes not a non-entity but not nearly as good as we're used to offensively for the time that he was on the floor his jump shooting has regressed like wherever the mean was we can't even see it anymore from where he was uh, especially in that season in the bubble um so that was obviously a big issue and then just everybody else on the team needed somebody else to create offense for them with the exception of like a couple monk games here and there and a couple of carmelo runs where he got in his one dribble pull-up rhythm and then nobody on the team with the exception of like i don't know dwight in the three feet around the rim was any good on defense so combine all of that and, uh, you know, you get whatever the hell happened this year. You do. And it is a frustrating challenge for players as great as they are that we're going to be in this weird limbo with LeBron and Anthony Davis for, let's call it another eight months, might be another 10, 12, 14 months to figure out where this is. And I mean, LeBron, this is his age 37 season, as I mentioned, Anthony Davis, 28, going to be 29 next year. And they're two really good players. They're two players who, like a year ago, I had as the number f- number one and number six best players in the entire NBA. They were fresh off a championship at that point. And where this goes from here, not only for the two of them individually, but for that organization, and this isn't like a Lakers exceptionalism thing. It, it gets back to something that came up. I, I did a podcast with Adam Morris and, and, Der- and Bodner, um, I think that was last week. God, things are moving both quickly and so yeah, at was. the same time. And was there was the idea about like super teams and everything like that. And I'm like, what I, one of the things that I, I brought up in is like, m- you could make an argument for a few others, but the Lakers having that possibility of two of the 10 best players in the league, there aren't that many of those combinations that are out there, even if guys really take steps forward. And it's part of why the league is really fun right now is that there is this spread of talent, especially of elite talent. And so that leads to things being a little more, more balanced. We're not in the circumstances. And you can even argue like two top tens is one thing or like three or four top twenties or thirties. Like that can, that's kind of in some ways what the Warriors did as well. That was a real pro- problem for like competitive balance. If that's something that matters to you. And so you have the Lakers who had, who things went off for the rails for that reason. And then in the same town, in the same arena for now, you have the Clippers who Kawhi, when healthy, is in there, but he hasn't played a minute this entire season. And then Paul George, you could make an argument that he that he's in that conversation when he's at his best, and he missed a lot of the year. And so, like, you have those two teams in the same city run very differently. That we're just kind of like, we're just we're waiting more for next year, even though the Clippers could still do something this year, of course. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it turns out that you know, like Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard and Marcus Morris and Nick Batum. And 
uh, Evita Zubats and Isaiah Hartenstein and I don't know, I'm probably missing like 16 guys that played minutes for them. But it turns out those guys are a lot better than, you know, like Avery Bradley and Austin Reeves. <laughs> that ties in with, I don't think of this as what I'm going to remember about the regular season this year, but what it makes, what ending this season makes me think about, and I just brought up the Clippers as a good example here, the Lakers are too, is how ludicrously hard it is at this moment in time. And honestly, I would argue that it'll be this way in June as well to figure out what in the world is going to happen next year. <laughs> because you have these really strong teams in both conferences. Like you can think about the top four in each of them. My expectation is we're not going to see significant movement, honestly, either away or to those teams. Like there's just with the way things are working, there aren't that many high profile free agents. We could see some moves. Like I'm not saying like the Grizzlies in particular, like I, I wrote about this for the athletic. I think there's a way that they could do something, but you have that. And you know, there will be aging for all these teams, Miami. That's probably a negative for Boston. That's probably a positive and how well those guys have played. And we'll get into that in a second. But then you have these looming situations elsewhere. That could be teams that were very strong this year when they were healthy and then weren't like the Bulls, like you could, the Cavs. And then the teams that just weren't like that at all, like the Nuggets and the Clippers, where it's like, well, okay, it, we're not going to, we know we're not going to see everyone at full strength. That's not the way this works. But where do you put the full strength Nuggets? Where do you put the full strength Clippers in this? conference which has all these other obviously good teams yeah and i mean then there's like will we ever see the nets healthy for an extended period at all sure um you know like how long is Kyrie gonna be on that team um then there you know there's there's teams that like disappointed this year like can the hawks find some sort of equilibrium between where the, in the conference finals and where in the play-in um what do the raptors do after this season um are the sixers gonna sign james Harden to a long-term contract uh, <laughs> how do the warriors add to this mix and can those young guys progress to being regular rotation players like how does Dallas now rearrange itself to try to get Luca like another star level guy, or do they even want to do that? Can they keep Jalen Brunson? What happens if they don't? Uh, if the Jazz go out in the first or second round of the playoffs, what the hell happens there? Like, you know, there well, are obviously teams that are not going to be satisfied with the way this year went. You know, the the, the Lakers, how are they going to try to do whatever it is they're going to do? The Knicks, I would imagine, um, are going to try to do something at least like there are a lot of balls up in the air and not a lot of answers especially because this free agency class doesn't look like it's going to be that good so a lot of things that a lot of moves that teams are going to want to make to make themselves better or to bottom out is going to have to be trades and it's hard to forecast those especially when we don't know yet what's going to happen in the playoffs and who that will make available for sure and i was thinking about that in the context that you brought up free agency and i think that's a really good place to start where if you looked at it in the quote-unquote normal context that you and i would like as people who focus on rosters and transactions you look at who is who is under contract who is not under contract what teams have cap space and what teams have flexibility what, or assets, you know, like the, what teams can make real changes if they're going to do that. And if you look on those basic terms, this looks like an incredibly stable offseason. You not only have a lot of, st especially when we're talking about star players, you not only have a lot of star players that are under contract, but you also have a lot of star players that have chosen where they are deliberately. Like this isn't a circumstance where like you could even bring up, you could bring up Kyrie here and James Harden where yes, both of those players could be pending free agents, assuming they decline their player options. But Kyrie wanted to be in Brooklyn. James Harden wants to be in Philly now. Let's put it that way. And, and so you would think about that and it's more one of those years where, okay, maybe moves more on the margins, but I was talking about this with somebody at the Nike Hoop Summit over the week, and what they're talking about is they're like, yeah, but every NBA offseason is crazy. And so what the the avenue this year probably is, is traits, that it is a circumstance where it is hard to add a top three player on a really good team this year through free agency because there aren't that many of those players that are around. So even if you have infinite cap space, even if you have like that, that's the challenge of Memphis, like, and, and, and the players who do fit that description, like a Zach Levine, 
or if you're an optimist on Harden or Beal, those guys, DeAndre Ayton, there are heavy reasons to believe that all of those guys are going to stick around, whether that's match rights in Ayton's case or because they're in pretty good situations they want to be, or they want to be there, whatever it is. So, okay, it's not going to be that. But you brought up the Jazz, and I think they're the looming tower, I guess you could say, in this circumstance because there will be teams— and in certain circumstances, this can happen just like injuries, so you write it off or all that, where that are going to be intensely dissatisfied with how things resolve and how they react to it. And that's part of why the Danny Ainge edition makes this jazz team so so different is if things end poorly, however they define that term. Maybe that's a first round exit. Maybe it's an embarrassing one. Maybe it's maybe or, or maybe it doesn't even maybe that doesn't even matter. Maybe that's context but not pretext and all of a sudden let's say rudy gobert hits the market then that changes a lot of things that is a player who can be an impactful player it also fundamentally changes the utah jazz place in this conversation for better or for worse like we don't know exactly you know what is typically a trade of a player as good as gobert at his age you're trading them for younger players for worse players and draft picks like that's generally the way it works not always the way it works so those those are the shifts that I think are going to happen this year. And as you said, those are notoriously hard to predict. Yeah, and it's also like I feel like Gobert specifically is a tough player to even project landing spots for because, well, you don't know who's going to decide that they value center differently than they have in the past when he's available because he's such a specific center right. where his presence on your roster essentially guarantees you a top five to 10 defense, but also you have to be willing to live with the limitations offensively. And it's just, you don't know who's going to want that. Um, and also what the quality of the offers is going to be, because I, I, so I had an extended conversation with our mutual friend, Sam Vicini, and we were talking about Gobert landing spots. And one of the things I brought up is, Rudy Gobert, no real arguments in terms of how good a player he is, especially full strength, but Rudy Gobert is making 167.7 million. So that's about 42 million a year for four years after this year. So there is a, even with a rising cap, as we expect and everything else like that, we can argue, discuss, even if you love Rudy Gobert, even if you think that you know he's a defensive player of the year candidate, that the his yeah he's not a high usage guy like Embiid and Jokic are, but that he's a positive offensive player and that like his defense is special, his offense is plenty good, and defense is what matters at center. That paying him forty million a year going into his thirties, like going into his early mid thirties, is a risky proposition. This gets me to one of my hobby horses, I guess you'd call it. That's absolutely never going to happen. But the idea that on your third contract is when you make the most money, when you're like starting your decline phase for the most part, makes all of this so much more complicated. Than right. It well, it, it, it's such a weird point. You and I are both CBA nerds about the league having different maximum salaries for different levels of experience is that you can only really, unless you qualify as a designated veteran in those specific circumstances, you're almost always getting those contracts when you're late prime, post prime. And there are other sports that do that. I mean, baseball, you end up like, there. there's like a long history in baseball if you sign these oh, like yeah. crazy... Baseball, if you hit free agency, you're like almost guaranteed to get overpaid. Right. And you also like it's understood in baseball contracts, especially when they're signed when a player is young, that are these like 12 year monstrosities that you're getting positive value in the early years and you're just trading just dead money at the back end. A lot of times I think Mm -hmm. of like Pujols was a great example of this. There are a bunch of them. And basketball isn't quite that extreme. But the idea, which I think is truly, I think it's it's damaging for the league, but in a, a relatively modest way. The idea that the only players who can get that most money are the ones who've stuck around the longest time. It also makes all of this stuff more complicated. You and I had a discussion, I think it was two years ago. Might have been, no, it was more recent than that because it was about Tatum. 
about how frustrating it is that all NBA is an important consideration in, all, in these players' money. And yes, they're negotiating those contracts with their teams. But if there was a single max contract number, you wouldn't need the Rose Rule at all. Yep, yep. And, and like, you know, you look at it, um, I, I know that um, Zach Lowe has talked about it on his podcast a bunch of times, like the idea that the Wizards took John Wall with the number one pick and then he was really good and they gave him a contract that he deserved based on the way he had played and they could have projected him to play. And that contract essentially crippled the franchise and was a horrendous decision for them. And Or, you know, the that the Kings drafted Boogie and he was so good that he was going to be eligible for a contract that basically would cripple the franchise, so they decided to bail. Or the, the Bulls drafted Jimmy Butler and he was going to be eligible for a contract that they thought was not going to be worth it and they had to decide to trade him. Like, the idea that when these guys are eligible for, for that contract that it's bad for the team unless they're LeBron is not good. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's definitely true. I, I think I want to end this. You've been a part of the division capsule preview podcast that I do at the beginning of the year for years now. And the mm-hmm. question that I often end those with is breakout players. And for this, we'll extend it to teams. And the context, the the the, the framing that I usually use is players that we will be talking about very differently a year from now than we are right now. And so, you know, that can be, there are a lot of reasons why that isn't the case. Like a player who is obviously great, like Giannis or LeBron James, were he in the playoffs. And with the, the, the game that I want to play with you right now is instead of doing that for the Atlantic division over the course of a full calendar year, let's fast forward two and a half months. What players, what teams do you think have the greatest potential to be conceived of differently after these playoffs? After the playoffs... Um, that's a good I, I can get, I can give you one. And that's for me is Devin Booker. And it seems weird considering the Phoenix Suns made the NBA finals last year. They made it through the Western conference, but he has been phenomenal this year. The Suns are the best league's best regular season team. And if he can do that as the best player on a team that makes it to the finals and wins against a more competitive slate of teams, then we've then we've got something even stronger than I thought we had here. So Booker is one player that I think has that real potential. Definitely. That's a good one. Uh, I would throw Aiton and Bridges in with him, sure. too, if they contribute in a huge way to this run. Um, John Morant and Jaron Jackson. Um, I think especially Ja um, can sort of ascend to an entirely new level, which he's basically ascended to with his regular season performance anyway. But I think that, you know, you do it in the playoffs or get to the finals or whatever people think of you differently. Um, I think in a very stupid way, Chris Paul sort of like Andy Reid when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, people will be like, oh, yeah, that guy actually was like one of the three best point guards ever um, w- with Chris Paul. Um, then, But then there's guys, you know, Luka, Jokic, uh, Gobert. Like if those teams have, you know, get to the conference finals or, or beyond that, that's, you know, I think suddenly people think of them a little bit differently as well. Um, Jimmy Butler, if the Heat win, I think. Or if the Heat one. lose badly again. Yeah, or if the Heat lose badly, that's a good call. Um, I I have I can't I, I can't remember if I heard you mention one of them as I, I was looking through listings. But for me, even with the Robert Williams injury, Tatum and Brown have an opportunity here to fundamentally transform it. And then another big one, and I think it, my instinct on this. We, as we're recording this, we don't know the seedings in the brackets yet. I am worried that a disappointing playoff exit for the Philadelphia 76ers is going to lead to Joel Embiid getting undue criticism. And Embiid's playoff performance, I've gotten into a lot of arguments about this, especially relating to top 10 players. I'm not as steadfast as Nate is that he's never had a great playoff series, but... It hasn't been quite this like his resume on that is not nearly as strong as Jokic's. And if let's say they're the four seed and lose to the Raptors in the first round, even if Embiid plays very well, it's going to get exhausting. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with that. I also think that with the exception of last year when they lost to Atlanta, they've had the misfortune of losing to like very, very good defensive teams that have basically been able to design themselves around saying we're just going to make life hell 
for Embiid, you know, losing to the Celtics and the Raptors in years past, like, you know, what are you going to do? Like th- those teams are, have been, you know, elite defensive teams for a reason. And, you know, they would have done that to, to anybody and did do that to, to anybody on their ways to, you know, the conference finals or the finals or whatever it was. I, I think that, you know, he probably gets a little bit of undue criticism. I think that especially this year, although I do think like if they lose in the first, like I think Harden's going to catch more heat than Embiid does if they lose early um, and possibly deservingly. So if he plays like what he's been playing like uh, over the last few weeks or so, um, you know, um, since you mentioned the preview podcast, I'm looking back and uh, I did pretty good with my breakout players in the Atlantic division. Who'd you have? Uh, uh, Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel quickly, Robert Williams, um, OG Ananobi, who was obviously hurt on and off throughout the year. And, uh, and Bruce Brown, I had to pick him. So I did, I did pretty good. Yeah. That 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 is an impressive list. I don't actually usually write those down, so I, I can't provide my own referendum. Though I know it was I was saying Robert Williams because I've been saying that for two years, and I, I continue to believe it. And then the other one we we brought up a couple of different players, and he came up in the earlier context is Luca. I we don't know again exactly who they're going to play in the first round, but it's not going to be the Clippers. So the water. Uh, you know what? Jalen Brunson has a chance to make himself a nice amount of money if he can, oh, yeah. you know, not be bad in the playoffs like he was last year. Yes, for sure. And but but Luca, it's not an inevitability. It's far from that that he is the best player in the league over the next couple of years. It is something that I expect to happen because he has been that good, and he's also significantly younger than the great players now who have risen you know over those couple years but Luca Luca did did a lot of impressive stuff during his two playoff exits but now more favorable ecosystem whether they play the Jazz or the Nuggets and then presumably they make the second round and he gets another opportunity which will probably be more challenging but it might just be a circumstance where we just go oh wait when he doesn't have to play Kawhi <laughs> Luca's really really good right now this isn't when he's 26 or anything like that, he's already there. And it's not like his MVP best player in the world case is the same as those three guys we talked about for MVP, but he's incredible. And the positional size that he has relative to somebody like Steph, the jump shot has been a lot better than the pure disaster it was at the beginning of the year. So mm-hmm. I I want to acknowledge the possibility that we end this playoffs with Luca as either a high tier two or maybe tier one player in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people forget because of the way the season started. Like he came into the season as the MVP favorite. Yeah, like it's entirely possible we're talking about him that way heading in to next year. And that reminds me of one thing that I want to get out in front of is people declaring that what happens in the playoffs is a referendum on who won MVP season. Oh my god. What One of my least favorite tropes that exists in basketball, punditry, and all that. It is a regular season award. What happens in the playoffs has nothing to do with who should have won MVP in the regular season. Like, oh, man. Uh, but I, I do think it's possible that, like, somewhere between possible and probable that, like, you know, Luca comes out and has a kick-ass first-round series and people are like, see, he should have been MVP or, like, should have been on your MVP ballots or whatever. And, um Maybe he should have, but what happens in the playoffs will have nothing to do with whether or not that's true. Then the last kind of group that I want to talk about is, uh, we'll call it glimmers, because my expectation right now is that like the Cavs probably are not going to be long for the play-in slash playoffs, especially if Jared Allen doesn't come back and that Joe Varden report from a week ago makes that definitely concerning. But so the Cavs for that, we'll see how much Trey Young we get during these during the play-in and playoffs. And also some of the like smaller players on bigger teams. We're going to get a different opportunity for Tyler Hero this year than we did last year. And Ja for Memphis, I'm so excited that he came back yesterday and looked as good as he did. And it isn't about, for especially these guys that are in their early 20s, it isn't about being the best player on a conference finals team. Though if you could do it, by all means. Like if you, if you can make that happen, do it. But for Mobley, for Ja, for... Carl Anthony Towns, even though he's a little bit older, seeing those signs that if things progress for these teams, a lot of them exceeded expectations this year, that we can see where this is going and that it could be going in a really positive direction. And so I, I'm i not going to take a playoff exit or a disappointment in that respect as condemnation forever, just like it wasn't for Bam that I thought he was bad last year in the playoffs as the Heat got knocked out. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he was going to be a bad player. He had a wonderful year. 
but we could get some some of those indications like, oh, they're really doing something here. Yeah, I think people tend to take the result of a playoff series to um what's the word i'm looking for directly um uh uniformly i was gonna say like bilaterally but that doesn't make sense basically they take it as like if a team loses a playoff series that means that they're frauds and terrible and they're never do anything good again and if a team wins a playoff series that means they are de facto better no matter what for the rest of the history of time than the team that they beat when that's just not the case like it's about the specific matchup and injuries and coaching adjustments and those things change from year to year um you know specifically obviously the matchups like you know the Mavs not playing the Clippers like you mentioned or you know let's say Memphis winds up playing the Clippers this year and they lose that doesn't mean that they weren't good enough to be the two seed it means that they got unlucky enough to play the Clippers in the first round you know or or just things along the those lines where they take it and the result of that series is like the definitive verdict on the players on that team and how good or bad they are as opposed to you know that's just what happened in this series and it doesn't necessarily mean anything in the larger sense about the specific players involved wholeheartedly agree and hopefully we can do our part to make the discourse better we can't guarantee we can't fix everything but we can try to do it and i appreciate you taking the time to do it today thanks for having me man always a good time thanks again to jared dubin for taking the time to come on you can read his basketball work at 538 you should also follow him on twitter at jadubin5 j-a-d-u-b-i-n and the number five and you can also check out on that it has his authory page which is everything else that he does jared does really good work on the nfl as well if you are so inclined a lot of great stuff and really enjoyed our conversation if you want to support this show there are a lot of different ways you can do it you can download every episode and subscribe because that is good for our numbers and because real gm radio will never come out on a specific day of the week it makes sure that you get it and that's great whatever podcast player you use leaving a rating leaving a review it's another way to help people find the show social media can do that as well but the single most important thing for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for this show that is bet online so go to betonline.ag and use that clns50 promo code to get a 50 percent welcome bonus tell them you came from us and hopefully they will keep doing that and i really do appreciate it can also check out my other work i did most of last week for dunked on prime with nikai stunkin because nate was on paternity leave which is great super excited about that and he is back now so we are doing dunked on and dunked on prime in full moving forward of course going into the playoffs and then you can also check out we do a weekly spotify chat at six eastern three pacific and you can join us there the nba strategy stream is done for the year because there are no more league pass games but we'll probably do some live shows throughout it'll our, our schedule is going to be a little bit different this year but we're in the process of working on that so you can check it out on, on check follow me on twitter and everything else and then i have written work at the athletic wrote a piece about the grizzlies recently and then i am working on one should be out early next week depending on when i get it ready for editorial and that's about it in terms of kind of promo-y stuff if you have any feedback good bad or indifferent danny larue nba at gmail.com is the way to get it to me if you take the time to write it i will take the time to read it that is a promise oh and one other thing i mentioned i was at the nike hoop summit practices this past week and scrimmages and all that i'm hoping to turn that into content i don't know exactly what form that's going to take yet so you can follow me on twitter and find that out might be pod might be a piece might be both let's see playoffs are coming on really strong so we'll have to keep keep an eye on that but thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day 